time. The news with my dad. A show we talk with news with my dad. And on the line with us, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I've got so much to talk about this morning. I'm glad we got started almost on time. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Dad, do you have a shout-out? I have so many shout-outs this morning. Start a new show. It's called Shout-Out for Pop. First, I want a shout-out for Judge Victor Moreno in the Southern District of New York, federal judge who has told Jacob Wool and Jack Berkman, the two trolls who sent 85,000 lying voicemails to people in Ohio and Michigan and who knows what else, that it's in a civil suit, and he has told them that they must send by the end of the day today the following message to everybody who they sent the initial phony robocall. The message is to say, at the direction of a United States District Court, this call is intended to inform you that a federal court has found that the message you previously received regarding mail-in voting from Project 1599, a political organization founded by Jack Berkman and Jacob Wohl, contained false information that has the effect of intimidating voters and thus interfering with the coming presidential election in violation of federal voting rights laws. That supposed to go out, and we knew, of course, we've already reported earlier that Michigan indicted the the two of them, Wall and Berkman, with a possibility of seven years. Well, this week, Ohio District Attorney in Cleveland has brought through a grand jury 15 counts of fraud and bribery with a potential 18 years. So I'm shouting out for the judge. Then I'm shouting out for Sebastian Coe, who is the head of Sebastian Coe, of course, people recognize because he was a great runner himself, but he's now head of the World Athletic Conference, which is the track and field conference that reports to the IOC, the International Olympic Committee. He said, if an athlete wishes to take a knee on a podium, I am supporting that. That's just, I'm proud of you, Sebastian Coe. And then finally, I want to shout out for the Balanced Gym in New York. Balanced Gym is a is a chain, but they, they have a large building in New York that happens to be directly in, excuse me, in Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C., directly across the street near Thomas Square from a very old African-American woman who looks out of her window and has always enjoyed, because she's she was a former ballet dancer, and she's now in her 90s, can't dance anymore, and she really appreciates looking out and seeing the exercises going on on the, uh, the roof of the gym. The gym learned about that 
And in tribute to her, they put a great big sign up on their wall for her to look at. I just think that's a wonderful thing uh, to... So I'm shouting out for Devin Meyer, the manager, and Madeline Adams, who came up with the idea. So those are my shout-outs. Dad, how many was that? I think that was four. Holy mackerel. I want to give a shout-out to the Minority Retort Show. Pop, the 2020 campaign is the most expensive campaign ever by far. Do you have it? Have you, I don't know if you saw this in the time, New York Times, but did you see the total that the Center for Responsive Politics, if you add up just the White House, Senate, and House, this doesn't count governor's races, legislative races, dog catcher races, etc. I don't think we run for that anymore. What do you think that total amount projected is if you didn't see the story? Well, it's going to be well up into the billions. $14 billion. That's double the previous high for federal races. That was set in 2016. Uh, the, co- the presidential race is expected to cost $6.6 billion. That's more than the entire cost of all federal campaigns in 2016. Much of the campaign spending has gone to television ads. Uh, $1.8 billion on TV ads. Uh, the entire 2016 presidential race was $2.4 billion. So even though, you know, people are looking at their Internet, people apparently are still spending money on TV ads. ActBlue has processed over $3.3 billion dollars. So far, WinRed, the rival for-profit platform, has raised $1.2 billion. Republicans are right now behind in the race for small donations. Uh, they do very, very well in very large donations. Women have been giving more than ever in federal races. They accounted for 44% of donors, uh, from up, excuse me, up from 37% in 2016. And Trump faces, of course, a big gender gap, in fact, a record gender gap in polling. Women have been greatly helping Democrats financially. Dad, what? Uh, and as yesterday, as of yesterday, sev- over 74 million voters have already voted. It's a lot. It's That's a, a lot. Considering we had 60 million voters by the time that Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed, you'd think that, you know, confirming a, a justice in the middle of the vote, after 60 million voters had cash, you would have thought that would given some it would give some pause to some people who said you shouldn't do it with 274 days left in a in a in an election. But you know, I guess that's yesterday's news and hopefully forever's news and forever news. Never forget. What other election news dad are you tracking? Are you paying attention Lots to? Lots of it. First, uh, it is related to the election certainly uh, of some significance. I think. Did you by any chance catch the interview of Miles Taylor on? No. Well, CNN on Cuomo, you recognize the name? No. Well, Miles Taylor turns out to be anonymous. You remember when somebody, when there was an op-ed in the New York Times and then a book by anonymous castigating DDT saying what an awful piece. It turns out it was Miles Taylor who, when he was, when he wrote the anonymous op-ed, was the chief of staff to the Department of Health, <laughs> Health Services, and he uh, he was conservative Republican, and he gave a very very cogent description of why why he did what he did, and acknowledged that maybe he should have done it sooner, and 
and uh, when answering the claim that well it was just a way to to make money for him he said no no he gave almost all of the proceeds to charity so anyway Miles Taylor is somewhat significant Michigan court has ruled that the it's okay for people to take their guns to polling places the Secretary of State Michigan had told people no no guns within 100 feet polling place and the court has said sorry you can't do that and I, I, I'm afraid that the court is based on the current president of the United States Supreme Court. The court's probably right because if you can take, if you can take, uh, if you have the right to bear arms, why can't you have one attached to your hip when you go in to vote? Of course, the next one is uh, when when is somebody going to sue about not being able to take a gun onto an airplane? That's one that I'm going to want to see how the courts deal with. USA Today has, for the first time in its 38 years, endorsed a candidate. Four years ago, they unendorsed Biden, or rather, unendorsed DDT, rather, but they did not endorse anybody else. They just said, don't vote for him, because there were other candidates. You're going to vote for that guy, Evan, whatever his name is, in the state of Utah, but they said that it's so important that they have endorsed. Polls Florida appears to be a toss-up. Texas may be a toss-up. Pennsylvania and Michigan, of great significance, of course, appear to be trending more and more towards Biden, but uh, the polls in Michigan and Pennsylvania four years ago also seem to be trending in favor of Hillary Clinton, so we don't know. But one of the interesting things, I think the U.S. Post Office has admitted, that they have done so many words, but have admitted that they have really become poor since DeJoy became in charge when he decided to get rid of machines that expedited the processing of mail. And how, how you can possibly justify doing that under the claim that you're wanting to make things more more efficient but but they really have admitted it because they've said if you wanted your ballot counted it should have been in the mail yesterday even in Oregon they're saying it should have been mailed yesterday in the past it has always been mailed tomorrow that is get it in the mail on Friday and the truth is that if you mailed on Saturday it really got delivered every time but now they're saying if you didn't get it in the mail yesterday you can't be sure that the post office, if you put it in the mail today and in a box in Multnomah County, it may not get to the Multnomah County Elections Office before the end of the day on Tuesday. And, of course, in Oregon, the limit is the end of the day on Election Day, 8 o'clock. So if you haven't voted, folks, take it to a drop box. And there are drop boxes all over the place. Any library in Multnomah County, any library I think in the state is a place that receives. And of course, all the elections offices, several stores, lots of places get your ballot in. Supreme Court on Wednesday. Any of that, Dad, you want to discuss? Any you want to comment on? Any any value you wanted well, me to add? The, well, I think that there is a huge opportunity, and I hope it's not missed. If 
if Biden is elected and if the Senate flips, oh, let's hope the Senate flips, there's a huge opportunity to take aim at what's happening with the post office because most recent survey shows that over 70% of Americans believe that the post office is a service and should be looked upon as a service and not a business. It was not created to make a profit. It wasn't even created to be self-sustaining. It was. It is important to have and appropriate to have income for the great service it provides, but it is not to be judged as if it were a profit-making business. And there needs to be legislation to address that, needs to address what DDT has done in and what the board, which is dominated by folks who really do not believe that the post office should be a service and really would like to see the post office pretty much wither and go away, there's a huge opportunity there. Do you have any thoughts on that? You've offered a bunch. The Supreme Court, Dad, allowed the counting of ballots in North Carolina, received it nine days after the election, as long as those ballots are postmarked by Election Day, uh, that's for North, North Carolina, of course, is a key battleground state, both in the presidential race and in the U.S. Senate race. It is a long ago blue, then Dixiecrat, then red, uh, and now been red for a long time, and now swing district that has a chance to uh, that has a chance to shift the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Republicans of the Trump campaign had asked the court to reinstate a three-day extension that had been set by the state legislature last June. The court rejected the request without comment. Amy Coney Barrett took no part in the decision. She hadn't had time to fully review the briefs. The appeals court said the extension simply makes it easier for more people to absentee vote in the middle of a global pandemic that has killed over 200,000 Americans. That's the appeals court had to say. The Supreme Court did not overrule them. Also, Dad, did you see the other ruling about Pennsylvania? I wonder if yes, you had. Yes, I saw. I was going to say. I yeah, to go make ahead. Sure that we noted that they that they've done the same thing with Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, they're leaving in place a, a state Supreme Court decision that allowed the counting of ballots received three days after the election, even if there is no legible postmark. Again, Amy Coney Barrett did not participate in the consideration of the motion. Court's public information officer said Barrett did not participate because, again, the need for prompt resolution because she had not had time to fully review the findings. Democrats have been pressing the new justice to recuse herself from cases involving the election. Pennsylvania, of course, another key state in the presidential race. A string of rulings this year have upheld voting restrictions across the country. But in these two decisions, the court has upheld at least lower court decisions that have allowed for counting of ballots. Anything, anything you're watching more, Dad, on how the Supreme Court is treating the uh, is treating the state rules, and also if you're tracking what's happening on delaying ballots and delaying the vote, not just the post office stuff, but other. Yeah, well, you say delaying. Yeah, I saw. Well, no, I would just add first. Do you any comment on the Supreme Court on the Supreme Court rulings? Well, it is it is puzzling. May be the wrong word. It is interesting because when, when they when the early rulings, you would have thought that these latest rulings would have been the other way, and, and I'm wondering 
scholars who study the history of the Supreme Court have noticed that uh, sometimes the Supreme Court changes because they sense what's happening out in the world. And I'm just wondering if, uh, if maybe one of the justices who changed, changed his position, it would not be her position because the hers were all on the right side of these, the, uh, because there's greater and greater recognition that what the Republicans are doing with trying to suppress voting is not in sync with American public opinion. There is a, a interesting article in New Yorker uh, in Pennsylvania. Republicans might only need to stall to win, uh, telling the story that if they push off the uh, if, if they push off the vote, if they don't, uh, they lay the ground as Trump has been laying the groundwork for questioning election results for months. Uh, if they can stall. Then the uh, then later they can have a different decision making body, in fact, decide that election. Dad, have you been tracking the potential stall tactics? Tracking the what? Potential stall tactics. If not, no, I, can move I, along. I am I am aware the stall tactics exist, and and I'm wondering if there there would wouldn't even be the kind of absolutely scurrilous thing that was done. when uh, Bush, the Supreme Court, affirmed the election of Bush over Gore when the Republicans sent a mob, literally a mob, to intimidate vote counters in Florida. I'm wondering if if something like that may happen. Well, we're already at... uh, We're already getting to the place. I'm I'm trying to read this read this post from Sean Swaggerty on the uh, uh, on the election and on the early absentee voting where of course absentee balloting is way up and dead Georgia has turned into a toss-up uh, Georgia is back as a toss-up oh we've got a uh, we've got a text uh, between the head of the US Postal Service slowing the mail and Supreme Court wanting to hand Trump the presidency I have no hope Biden will prevail that is a pessimistic view from Aileen Kay. Uh, We've got a new text. Should there be a chief of staff of health services or homeland security? The, uh, uh, yeah, it is. That are you, what is your optimism meter right now? on the, Or, or your, at least your, even your, your prediction meter? Are you in the, uh, well, it looks like Biden's doing pretty good, but be careful. Are you in the, with Aileen, uh, this thing is, this game is, this game is rigged. This game is locked. Uh, or are you in the? Oh no, I think everything's going to be. I, I, for those people who are wanting a change in the White House, it's looking pretty. You're pretty confident. Pretty confident, no, because because I remember 2016, and of course, as you recall, when we were doing this, just the the Thursday and the Tuesday and thir- the Monday and Thursday before the 2016 election, you were looking forward to Hillary Clinton, and I was. Less optimistic. I, I was res- reserving doubts. I still have doubts. I have doubts partly, partly because a, a very interesting thing that happened in 2016 and is happening again, and that is China produces uh, most of the DDT, most of the p- political stuff. 
you know, the, the memorabilia, the, the, the hats and the T-shirts and so on. And this year, the DDT stuff, especially the last couple of weeks, is just going to go off the charts in, in this, this huge Chinese, Chinese wholesaler to sell, selling to retail, of course, obviously, some some of this stuff is actually being bought by Chinese people, but most of it is being shipped to the United States, and there is huge demand for DDT stuff, and virtually none for Biden, and that makes me just a little nervous, because this election really is going to be decided ultimately by turnout. And if you have a lot of folks excited because they have bought the DDT Kool-Aid and the Biden folks not excited, especially if there are folks out there who were disappointed because their candidate, whether it was Bernie or Booker or whoever their candidate was, didn't get the nomination, they're thinking maybe they're not going to bother to vote, folks the country will be inalterably, inalterably damaged if DDT is allowed to serve in the White House for four more years because he will feel there is nothing to stop him from doing anything that he wants to do. COVID, of course, is the main issue. And DDT is saying, hey, Vax is coming almost immediately. We're around the corner. The fact is that both Cases and hospitalizations are up all over, all over not just the United States, but the world. And DDT is out there campaigning frenetically, and Biden is campaigning in a measured way. And if Biden wins, people will say, great example. If he loses, there'll be lots of lots of second-guessing. Clearly related to the election, the stock market S&P dropped 3.5% yesterday. The stock market is going down. and I must confess, I'm not sorry to see the stock market dropping just a little bit because it disenables DDT to be bragging about that. Last night, the city council met, and the... Uh, and and I, I bet there's new news for you, Dad. You probably don't have this yet. Pop? I'm here. Do, uh, that was a question. Do you know what happened in the city council hearing last night? Yeah, well, as a matter of fact, did, did they uh, one of the things they did, they did, I don't know if it was last night, but they have decided to create, or they're considering creating a community safety transition director, public safety director. But they, I think it was last night, they told 56 cops that they should cool it. The 56 cops who got deputized by the feds then told them that you you don't get to arrest people for federal alleged federal crimes unless the governor comes out with some sort of a decree. And uh, is that the thing that you were thinking about? Nope. So last night there were they, there was a debate on Joanne Hardesty's budget amendment. Joanne Hardesty was proposing to cut the Portland Police Bureau's budget by $18 million. And that proposal came up before the city council last night. Ted Wheeler and Amanda Fritz were opposed to the proposal. Chloe Udaly and Joanne Hardesty were in favor of it. That meant 
that Dan Ryan is the swing vote. Now, and Dan Ryan, I know, was the was the target of some pro- demonstrators who went to his house. Dan Ryan, for those of you who are paying attention, ran against Loretta Smith in the general election. It was a crowded and talented field in the primary. Two people who emerged were Dan Ryan and Loretta Smith. Joanne Hardesty campaigned hard for Dan Ryan. Joanne Hardesty, who had run against Loretta Smith previously, and Joanne Hardesty then appeared in Dan Ryan's main TV ad. She was his poster child for why he should be elected. Dan Ryan was the swing vote on this vote. Pop, do you know or do you want to guess how well, Dan Ryan fact, voted? The fact that you are making such a big deal of it tells me that he must have voted against the $18 million cut. He vote, He joined Amanda Fritz and Ted Wheeler to delay that vote until after the election. <laughs> and this morning... Temporize. Excuse me. And last night, Joanne Hardesty posted this on her Facebook page. Thank you, Loretta Smith, for supporting my budget amendment. <laughs> right now, there, of course, also the police accountability measure... Uh, that uh, Dan Ryan is support in support of. Uh, this shapes the, potentially shapes their relationship. This is his first big vote, their first big disagreement. I guess he's already carving himself a set of, you know, a, a, a bit of independence from Joanne. But it is, uh, it, it, to me, indicates how, um, well, I was disappointed to see Joanne Hardesty and Loretta Smith not and I and Loretta Smith. I never heard her say anything in the campaign about Joanne. I was, you know, I, of course, I would hope that prospective colleagues would get along prior to the uh, prior to the election. So I was disappointed by that. But now it looks like there's maybe some division. Anyhow, other local news, Dad, that you are tracking. Well, let, let, I, I'd like to talk just a little bit more about that because. I, I'm going to say something that I, I suspect will make some folks out there mad at me. But, but I have to agree with the vote. I think that the idea of cutting all kinds of money from the Portland Police Department when, when you're have, having them difficulty, when they're not able even to, to deal adequately with all the stolen cars that get stolen, and there are a lot of stolen cars going on around, and the burglaries going on that... that I had I had a police officer who appeared to be really interested in pursuing the burglary of our house because we were able to identify who the burglar was, and I haven't been able to get him now to respond to either my emails or my phone calls because I'm sure he's just too busy doing other stuff, even though there's been a major development in, in the, the, the burglar that we've identified has been arrested and has to show up for a class in Clackamas County on the 1st of December, what what we need to be talking about is not reducing the money, but how the money is spent, how the training is spent, what uh, where it goes. And, and I was just saying we're going to take $18 million away from you without dedicating that $18 million to relieving the police of stuff that they shouldn't be expected to do anyway, and getting that to someplace else strikes me as not a good idea. So that is what is a sharp division. I will represent the counter-argument. The, that is a sharp division that's happening in the police department and happening within 
Portland political landscape generally, and that division, of course, being stoked by bots and trolls everywhere, as well as by legitimate policy disagreement. But it's also the kind of thing that ends up getting uh, ends up getting artificially amplified as well. So he, he, the counter is, well, obviously you're going to spend the money on something else. Right? You're not going to take $80 million and burn it. You're going to spend it on something else. Uh, and that other stuff can be to make sure that you do put in dollars to support uh, social services, do make sure that you can, the alternative system that Joanne Hardesty has been pushing to put in place, uh, Portland Street Response, that you get funding for that. And the counter being that there is no amount of reform that in this institution merely saying, please do it differently with all of the all of the sort of psychological and marketing superstructure of what police officers are supposed to do, all the police officer movies that there are. You're never going to be able to get you're never going to be able to recruit the folks into the police department and train the people who train the people who join the police department to fundamentally transform that institution. It just ain't never going to happen. So goes the argument. And therefore, you have to shift resource. Here's my analysis of, I think, where Portlanders are. I think we have a supermajority in Portland, thankfully, a supermajority in Portland who want to battle racism in the police department and law enforcement and in our community in general. There's a supermajority for that. I think there is a small majority, Dad, on where you are. I think there's a small majority in favor of your position, which is, yeah, but I don't want to, I don't want to defund the police a bunch. I think that even in Portland, the defund the police argument is a, is a much closer, is a much closer argument. I think the winning argument is a, and, and I don't mean this just from a political standpoint, from, but from uh, there's also a strong policy argument, is investing significantly in a new service, in a service that is cross trained that can fight a fire if need be that can arrest somebody if need be but that is particularly excellent at dealing with mental and physical health because that is, is such a large share of the calls that are received we've got a police department that was built you know over a century ago we've got fire departments that were built a century ago around house fires now house fires are three percent of firefighter calls now what firefighters deal with are mostly health care calls and what gets police officers into difficulty is when they have to deal with mental health calls. We need to focus resource on those matters, focus resources on developing that stuff, and that doesn't necessarily have to happen within the existing institutions, because pivoting those ships can be a hard thing to do. Dad, I'll give you the last word. And and that's why I'm saying that just saying, we're going to pull $18 million out without saying that that $18 million is going to be intelligently invested in things that reduce the demand on police officers by $18 million worth of time doesn't make sense. It needs to be a package deal. And I am hoping, I am hoping that the fact that, that there is now going to be consideration of creating this, this transition office to the cost of 300000 bucks is related to that desperate need the uh, and uh, particularly because if you simply cut 18 million dollars what are you going to have to do you're going to have to fire probably fire a bunch of cops what cops you're going to fire where you're going to fire the cops who have the least seniority what does that mean that means that you're going to erase the ratio of old boys who've been in the force for a long time 
who were the, the cops who, when a citizen came and offered help, said, uh, patted people on their head and said, don't worry, we'll take care of it, instead of recognizing that successful police operations depend absolutely upon good relationships and help from the public. All of that needs to be considered. That's my final word on that subject. No, it's not my final word, but that's something I care about a lot. Oregon Health Authority, 424 new coronavirus cases, seven new deaths. A senior Oregon health officer dressed up as a clown to announce the latest coronavirus death toll. Claire Poche, or Poche, senior health advisor at Oregon Health Authority, wore white and red face makeup, along with a red tie and a polka dot shirt, in the somber video announcement. In the video, after announcing the new case numbers and the number of deaths, she turned to her fellow senior advisor, Shimi Sharif, who was dressed up in a cuddly animal onesie. Sharif then explained the pandemic is reshaping how Halloween is celebrated, but it can still be spooky and fun. The outfits for the video, which has since gone viral, was apparently inspired by the Japanese cartoon My Neighbor Totoro. The video was recorded October 16th, went viral on Tuesday after it was shared by an Oregonian journalist who called it an absolute nightmare. Portlanders held a vigil in downtown Portland in memory of Walter Wallace, a black man shot and killed by police in Philadelphia. More than 100 people attended the vigil, yeah, held on the steps of the Justice Center. Go ahead. The, that underlines to me a question, and it relates to what we've just been talking about in police training. Why? Here's a guy with a knife. He's obviously, obviously suffering some sort of a mental problem. He may even have decided that he wants to commit suicide by cop. He has a knife. You got these cops all with their guns drawn, and so he walks towards them. Why is it not okay for them not to step back? Why can't they step back? Why can't they look for... And, and I'm, I'm thinking, if he had been white and well-dressed, I am just willing to bet that somebody in that police group would have said, we've got to come up with some imaginative way so that we do not kill this guy. And instead, they shot perhaps a dozen bullets at him. I don't know how many hit him, but they got the job done. And that just seems to me a question that, that, that has to be put in the training, that in the training you have to say, look, Look for imaginative ways to do everything you possibly can, especially when it's a knife and not a gun. If, if he has a gun, okay, and he's about to shoot us, and we stepping back isn't going to help because if he's a good shot, he'll get us anyway. But with a knife? 503-233-9729, by the way. Portland restaurants are winterizing their outdoor dining spaces. Olympia Provisions is expanding its seating into the parking lot earlier this summer. They already did that expansion. Other businesses have received street or sidewalk permits through the city's now popular Winter Healthy Business Program. Silver Dollar Pizza, River Pig, Two Wrongs, and Papi Chulo, both popular joints in Northwest 13th and Pearl District, have installed covered enclosed tents. And there's been a run on outside patio heaters. I got mine, Dad. I don't know if you have. I, actually, I know that you have not gotten yourself an outdoor patio heater. But, but those if you've things got one, we now. have one now <laughs> since we share the patio. Well, we share one of the patios. As of, as of last week. We share one of the patios. We share the side patio. That's where I got the heater. But, no, if you need it, if you need what I got one for you. 
that Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Nevada, Nevada are joining California to vet the COVID-19 vaccine. Yes, a consortium. They're going to make sure that if the, when the vax comes out, they're not going to rely on what the White House has to say. They're going to make sure that it works. They are indeed. Any big stories you want to launder us? Well, I just I just want to mention the uh, in state and local stuff. I, I feel comfortable that Bonamici and Blumenauer and probably Schrader are, are going to be reelected. The question I have is, is there really a contest in DeFazio? Because this Scarlato's guy is getting a lot of money. I got another email from him this morning saying that he needs 534 people to endorse him. That's one to watch. And the Grisham, the Grisham mayor's race has become really, really nasty. I, I think we, I, I believe we had Eddie Morales on. I don't know if we had Travis Stovall on the show, but uh, there, there's some Republican operatives who have launched a really, uh, really scurrilous mailing and send out, and, and it's clear that uh, Stovall is the establishment. Candidate and Eddie Morales is the progressive candidate. That's that's one for us to keep our eye on. Oregon set another COVID-19 record this last week. That's not great news. Uh, but Dad, yeah, why don't you straw in the wind? Straw in the wind. A straw in the wind. AOC. National Representative Congress, New York, who went on some game site and got 647,000 followers on what she was doing on the game site. And there was a comparison of Twitch, on Twitch, and a thing in which DDT got 6,000, Biden got 7,000. And AOC among us got 439,000. That strikes me as a potentially really significant straw in the wind. Well, Pop, we did it again. We did it again, and we'll be back on Monday with our last broadcast before the election. If you have not voted, please vote. All right, Dad. Love you, Pop. Love you, too.